Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. With Valentine's Day coming up, what could be more romantic than a love letter from your sweetheart? In today's world of instant connectivity, letters may seem a bit passé, but snail mail is making a comeback through niche groups and online movements. Plus, letters last a whole lot longer than a dozen roses. To talk more about the importance of letters and the ongoing tradition of love letters, we're joined in the studio by Sue Weaver-Schoff. Sue is a distinguished service lecturer in extension at Harvard University and a literary expert. Hello, Sue. Hello, Callie. So glad to have you. And joining me from WSHU in Connecticut is Nina Sankovich. Nina is the author of several books, including Signed, Sealed, Delivered, Celebrating the Joys of Letter Writing. Nina, welcome to Under the Radar. Hello, Callie. Hello, Sue. Delighted to have both of you. So let me just jump right in. This is February. This is the month of love letters, or we might think of it at that time, traditionally in that way. But the love letters that we think of as love letters, sort of capital L, capital L, are those Victorian ones, those rich ones that you're so familiar with, Sue. Tell me about why they are as fantastic as they are and so rich and powerful. Well, they're so incredibly honest and soulful. Most of those writers certainly didn't believe that their work was going to be shared with future generations, so they were writing from the heart to the person that they really cared about, and very often they found themselves unable to say the same kinds of things when they were sitting with their beloved. And so the letter became this wonderful medium that allowed them to really express their deepest feelings. So the letters really capture this quality of honesty and sincerity, sometimes utter desperation. But then also it gives the writer a chance to say something in very beautiful, poetic, metaphorical language so that the writer's skills are shown off a little bit as well. So it's a little like peering into the soul of the writer and understanding what his or her true feelings were toward the beloved. Well, why don't you read one? I know people may think of this if you at all do any sort of poetic reading. You know Elizabeth Barrett Browning. This is a very pretty one, so... Well, of course, Elizabeth Barrett Browning's correspondence with Robert Browning is one of the famous bodies of romantic correspondence in the canon because they fell in love with each other, both through their poetry and through their letter writing. They had quite an extensive correspondence with each other before they had really met and certainly before they eloped and were married. So this is the letter that she wrote in January 1846, just a few months before they eloped in September of 1846. Do you know, when you have told me to think of you, I have been feeling ashamed of thinking of you so much, of thinking of only you, which is too much, perhaps. Shall I tell you? It seems to me, to myself, that no man was ever before to any woman what you are to me. The fullness must be in proportion, you know, to the vacancy. And only I know what was behind, the long wilderness without the blossoming rose, and the capacity for happiness, like a black gaping hole, before this silver flooding. Is it wonderful that I should stand as in a dream and disbelieve not you, but my own fate? Was was ever anyone taken suddenly from a lampless dungeon and placed upon the pinnacle of a mountain, without the head turning round and the heart turning faint as mine do? And you love me more, you say? 
Shall I thank you or God? Both, indeed, and there is no possible return from me to either of you. I thank you as the unworthy may, and as we all thank God. How shall I ever prove what my heart is to you? How will you ever see it as I feel it? I ask myself in vain. Have so much faith in me, my only beloved, as to use me simply for your own advantage and happiness, and to your own ends without a thought of any others. That is all I could ask you without any disquiet as to the granting of it. May God bless you. Your B.A. Oh, that's so sweet. And it's so beautifully written. And as you pointed out, they were both writers. Nina, the thing about listening to that is that some people may say, well, I can't write that. (laughs) I can't can't come up with something that would be as beautifully written. And yet you found in your work, particularly your book, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, Celebrating the Joys of Letter Writing, that lots of folks in these times are writing love letters. Oh, that's absolutely true. I actually, I want to say I went, I went all the way back to the Egyptians and doing my research on letter writing and found that people have been writing love letters for thousands of years. And most of those people were not writers like Elizabeth Barrett Browning. They were just people expressing, just as Sue pointed out, without any fear of anyone looking in and seeing, expressing in the privacy of that moment of letter writing just how much they love someone. And some of the letters that I found are definitely very poetic. Some are more just raw and bare and basic, but they're so moving because of the honesty and because the writer can be honest in that private bridge of connection between them and one other person. And it's a kind of singularity in the letter. It's the one for you and for you only that makes it such a special way of expressing love for another person. And as you say, it lasts a lot longer than roses. I found a letter in my research that was from 400 years ago from South Korea. They discovered this letter in excavating an area to build new homes, and they discovered tombs, and the letter had been in a tomb, and a woman wrote to her husband. And so this is 400 years later, and I can read this letter and still feel how very much she loved her husband and how much she misses him now that he's gone. Read a bit of that, if you would, because it sounds very modern, I have to say, just looking I at know, it. I, it's, <laughs> I know. Okay, so here, it, it's a long letter, but I'll, I'll just read pieces of it. You used to tell me that we would live together until our hairs turn gray, and we would die together. How come you forgot that, and go away first and leave me behind? Take me with you now, because I cannot live after losing you, and I want to follow your way. I cannot let go of my heart toward you in this world, and my grief is endless. I write only briefly, but cannot continue any longer, for my heart is so torn apart. Read this carefully. Come to me in my dreams and tell me all. I believe I will see you in my dreams. Now, what is it that you think um, is, um, that's beautiful, by the way, Nina, um, that happens in the letter writing, whether from ordinary persons or writers, that just can't happen? Sue says it gives you a permission to say some things you wouldn't say to the person sitting next to you. But you have a theory about what letter writing in general allows for most folks, a kind of different kind of intimacy. 
Yeah, it allows, you know, a connection that is physical, first of all, because it ha- it is a piece of paper that you've written on, that you have put your own imprint on, and you are sending it across miles or across, you know, a continent, across an ocean, and that physical piece, of that physical proof of what you feel for the other person arrives, and that bridge is connected, and it's a bridge that's only between two people. So it, it's that privacy aspect. It's the bridge. It's the physical aspect of it. And this idea that what I have created is just for you, your eyes only, and and really is respected that way. I mean, we don't open letters and read letters that, you know, one is written to someone that's that's not written to us. So when a letter comes to us, that is a letter of love. We've known that someone has taken the time to create something special just for that person for whom it's written, and there's just no gift so unique that can be given. No love letter can be matched, really, in terms of how it proves the love one feels for another. Well, there is a a love scene in uh, Sex and the City, the movie in 2008, which featured love letters and I think brought people back to thinking about what this sort of intimacy, the tactileness, the physicalness of writing, particularly a love letter, was really important. Let me lead into it. This is Carrie. People know the main character who was in the moment in the movie engaged to Mr. Big. And she's reading from a book of poems of the sort that Sue Weaver Schaff just read. The last one was from Beethoven to his beloved, and the the last line is, Oh, continue to love me, never misjudge the most faithful heart of your beloved, ever thine, ever mine, ever ours. And then that leads to a conversation that Carrie has with Big about letter writing, love letter writing in specific. Have you ever written me a love letter? Does a love fax count? When have I ever gotten a love fax? Oh, I'm sure my secretary sent you one at some point. Yeah. Can I tell you, baby, it's not my style. Besides, those guys had to write. They were separated from their loves by wars and hundreds and hundreds of miles. I'm right here. Hello. You make me very happy. Yeah, yeah, put it in writing. I love that for the end part of it. That was from the movie Sex in the City with the characters Carrie and Big. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and my guests are Sue Weaver Schaff of Harvard University and author Nina Sankovich. And we're talking about letter writing, love letters in particular, in celebration of Valentine's Day and, in general, the return to respect for the written word in the form of letters. Now, Nina, speak about that a bit. What you're finding and what we found in just doing prep for this show is that a lot more people are deciding that they want to write letters, whether they be to a loved one or just to friends and family, which is a sort of a kind of a a love letter. But the interest is growing immensely. Yeah, you know, I was so surprised when my book about letter writing came out. I thought it would definitely appeal to people sort of of my age, grew up in the 60s. But in fact, I started hearing from a lot of millennials saying, you know, I started a group at my college campus or at my high school or at my 
this cool place where I'm working, and we get together and we write letters, sit around with a bottle of wine, and we have a night of letter writing, and they find that it's a way for them to just turn off all distractions, turn off all the digital social media stuff that's going on, and just get down to to really focusing on one letter to one person, one communication to one person. And it's almost like a kind of meditation, you know, it's being in the moment with that person, even though they might be far away, you're with them in that moment. And I'm finding that more and more people are telling me that they're doing this. And especially for situations and events that are very momentous in life. People, for example, will write a a thank you letter for some event that really touched them, or they will write condolences after someone has died. And these are ways of writing letters that show, you know, how a momentous event warrants taking the time to write a letter. So what more momentous event is there than falling in love? And what better way to prove how, you know, how deeply in love you are than by making that your sole purpose, your sole reason for being, at least for that, you know, half hour it takes for you to write a love letter. So, Sue, when you talk about these letters and and really discuss them in classes with young people, the sort that Nina uh, is referencing now, ones that are gathering together to write their own letters, what do they take away from the discussion and the dissection of the love letters that, that you all talk about in class? Well, I have always tried to arrange for my classes to go over to the Houghton Library mm-hmm. at Harvard, where one of the curators will give us a tour of some of the first editions and manuscripts and correspondence of some of the writers that we're studying. And it's always an incredible revelation, I think, to the students to look at those letters to see what the handwriting reveals about the person, also to see the way in which the thought process unfolds in the letter. You can see where the writer has stopped for a moment to try to gather his or her thoughts. Maybe the writer crosses out a word that wasn't exactly the word that the writer wanted to use at that moment. And they realize that you can actually get something human from looking at those letters. You can tell something about the human being that was writing them. All of these little things place the letter in a particular space and time and really communicate more than just the words themselves. I think the fact that you can divine other things about the personality, the character, the emotions of the person they're in the made act real. of writing. Yeah, they're made real. Yes, yes shown really to be brings human. it to life for people. So you've been teaching this work for some time. Over the years now, are you seeing an increased interest in the way that Nina is talking about of uh, your students saying, you know, gee... Maybe the Pony Express had something going for it, <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, this texting is really not the be-all and end-all. <laughs> I haven't actually had many conversations with students uh, like this, but it's those moments in the Houghton Library where mm-hmm. they actually get to see a manuscript. That That's when these occasions arise about the distinction between sending somebody a text message in truncated language 
or an email message written very hurriedly. We have had many occasions to talk about the work of Sherry Turkle at MIT, for example, Mm. who actually talks about how electronic communication, among other things, is sort of detaching people from intimacy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this, again, the Letter Writing Act itself, with all the apparatus that you have to have to be able to write a letter, paper and preferably an ink pen and ink and a quiet desk and all of that, this is a very different milieu. And I think your thought probably unfolds in a slightly different way when you are isolated with just those instruments and with just that paper and that desire, uh, as Nina was talking about, to sort of connect with one person in this very intimate way. I want to say a few things about letter writing now and then get you all for one last question here. There are a couple of letter writing projects. One is the Month of Letters. It's a website you can go on, and there are sort of gently little exercise to guide you to get started if you're interested in it, which I find really wonderful. And there's a a couple of women who formed something called the Letter Writers Alliance, which is organizing people to preserve the art form of letter writing. And I'd like to point out that Ta-Nehisi's Coates' book, Between the World and Me, which is very, very popular, as you know, a bestseller, was written as a letter to his son. So their letter writing shows up uh, in ways that people are probably not paying attention to. And that the uh, love story stars Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw traveled last year again in the play by A.R. Gurney called Love Letters, which is, of course, an exchange of letters by two characters. So there's a lot going on with letters even in this time of texting and email. So to you, Sue, I would I would ask this question is, what do you want people to know about the importance of preserving not just these love letters, but, you know, but what they really mean to our culture? Well, I guess I would suggest first thing they should do is to go out and buy themselves some very nice stationery. Second thing is to go and buy themselves a nice Mont Blanc pen or an <laughs> Osmoroid pen that allows them to learn how to write in the style of calligraphy. And then to think very hard about whom they would really like to express something very heartfelt to. And then to think about what they want the fate of that letter to be. Certainly, many people, if they still get a handwritten letter, those are things that people tend to tie up in ribbons and to put in drawers. We're uncovering correspondence all the time of people who received letters during the First and the Second World War, who put them away in a shoebox, and whose descendants have found them and opened them up and discovered all kinds of interesting things about the people who wrote them. So, Somehow, we don't tend to do that so much with emails and text messages, but there's something very special about the way in which a letter affects us. So I would say if anybody is fortunate enough to get a handwritten letter these days, the first thing is to respond in kind, and then the second thing is to put that letter away in a drawer because you may pick it up in 10 years or 20 years, and rediscover memories and feelings that you had forgotten about. Nina Sankovic, same question to you. I agree with Sue in that I love to have beautiful writing paper. I love a wonderful pen. But I have to say that I think the best love letter I ever received 
was written by my husband using a crummy motel pen written on page after page of the little notepad he had next to his bed at his crummy little hotel. <laughs> and, and that he just wrote from his heart. And it's just the most beautiful letter. It's, you know, about 10 pieces of this little crappy paper. I will never, ever part with that. It is a, a, just a treasured possession of mine because it came from his heart. And I can see that in every word that he wrote in how he wrote it. So I also would agree with Sue, if you get a love letter, you hang on to that love letter. And you know, most of us will never make it into the history books, we're not going to become famous, but we can leave something lasting of ourselves behind if we write letters and save letters. And what better thing to be remembered by than by the love letters you wrote and the love letters you received. Well, thank you both very much. Sue Weaver-Schoff is a distinguished service lecturer in extension at Harvard University and a literary expert. Nina Sankovich is the author of several books, including Signed, Sealed, Delivered, Celebrating the Joys of Letter Writing. Her latest book, The Lowells of Massachusetts, will come out in April. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org. And listen again to the UTR podcast. Subscribe through iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Aswahe is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.